I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Without a doubt, this is one of the most remarkable and important chapters in all of the Bible. And for that reason, we're going to be spending more than just one week uh, looking at Genesis 15. Um, Today we're going to be looking at uh, what it means to have a covenant relationship with the Lord and the importance of that. And then we'll be delving into uh, some more of the details of the text next week and then the following week, uh, Lord willing. But let's pick up our reading, uh, Genesis 15, chapter 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Adam drove, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will be, bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good, good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word and write its eternal truth upon our hearts this morning. Have you ever wondered why there are so few hermits in the world? Well, neither, neither have I until now, honestly. Well, there are few hermits in the world because humans thrive on personal relationships. Uh, if someone is a hermit, we immediately wonder... What bad thing happened to them to drive them away from society? Or maybe they have some sort of emotional condition that makes them want to live uh, isolated from the rest of humanity. We think that because we, we thrive on, on relationships, on personal relationships. And it's very special to us 
that we can say that we have a personal relationship with God or that God offers to have a personal relationship with human beings. But there are many types of personal relationships. Um, I have a, a personal relationship with my wife. But that relationship is very different than the relationship I have with, say, former college classmates. I have a personal relationship with them too, but it's a different type of relationship. I have a personal relationship with my children, uh, but it's a, it's a different relationship I have with, uh, say, you as church members here at First Presbyterian Church. I know you personally too, but the relationship is different. Uh, the, 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 the term personal relationship is a very broad category. How does God relate to human beings? It's true, yes. No doubt, God from the beginning of creation has made the effort to relate to human beings in a personal relationship. We see God throughout Scripture having relationships with human beings and indeed with with all humans. And when God has a relationship with a human being, what is the nature of of that relationship? Well, the answer to the question, as you can tell from the title of the sermon, is a covenant relationship. God relates covenantally to his people throughout Scripture and history. The relationship that God had with uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden uh, can be described as covenantal in nature. When Noah gets off the ark, God established a covenant relationship with him and with all humanity, for that matter. Here in this passage that we just read, we see God confirming the covenant relationship he has with Abram. This covenant that he has with Abram is repeated to his son Isaac and to his son Jacob and to all the people of God uh, during the Exodus through Moses God established a covenant relationship with King David. And at the Last Supper, Jesus Christ holds up the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. We'll be thinking a bit more about that next week in relation to this chapter. God relates to people, to humans, by way of covenants. If you're a child of God, then you have a covenant relationship with God. That's what God desires to have with you. From Genesis to Revelation, you will see, you will find, uh, you will find this oft-repeated phrase throughout every book of the Bible, in essence. I will be your God and you will be my people. Or some derivation of that. I will, I will be your God and you will be my people. God wants to have a relationship with him, a covenant relationship. He certainly desires a loving, personal relationship with his people, but it is a very specific type of loving, personal relationship. It's a covenant relationship. Now, what is a covenant? We're talking about covenant relationships. What in the world is it? Well, we can talk about a covenant as being an agreement a covenant, a pact, a bond. Uh, I'm just throwing out different words you can use for it because 
not, you know, one of those terms does not do it justice. There's more to it than just that. A covenant is an agreement, a contract, a pact, or a bond. Uh, a covenant also involves promises, stipulations, conditions. And a covenant also involves curses and blessings. We might hear uh, this and immediately think, oh, a covenant relationship is kind of like our modern contract system. For example, we contracted with painters uh, the last couple of weeks to paint the front of the church. We had an agreement with them uh, that they would do the work and that we would pay a certain price. We had this agreement, uh, and it was, it was not a covenant. It was a contract, but it was not a covenant. Because though we do have something of a, a personal relationship with the company now, or at least Steve does, uh, as the chairman of the deacons and who arranged the whole thing, uh, it's not a love relationship. I went out and met some of the guys out there painting and talked to them throughout the week. Uh, and so I had a little bit of a personal relationship with him. But it's not a, a covenant relationship. It's not a, a love relationship. It's a legal relationship. It's a consumer relationship. Now, if we had found a higher quality painter who offered a lower price, then we would have hired that painter instead. And that would have been good business. The, there would be no hard feelings between any of us. The company that lost out would just know that we didn't get the bid for that. So that's a, a consumer relationship, a contract relationship. A covenant relationship is similar in that it is an agreement, and we can use the term contract to describe it, because it does have legal elements. But a covenant is a love relationship that incorporates legal aspects. It's not simply a consumer relationship. That distinct, distinction is going to be important in a moment. Because the term covenant is not a modern concept. We have trouble even understanding what it is, what it means. And it, it is because our nearest equivalent, our human equivalent to this covenant relationship, is losing its meaning in our day and is actually under attack. And of course, the best example that should help us understand the idea of, of what a covenant is, is marriage, the marriage relationship. It is a covenant relationship because, as the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, marriage between a man and a woman is a picture of the relationship, the covenant relationship that the Lord has with his church, with his people. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and so forth. It's a picture. Uh, if you will, a marriage is a sermon that preaches visibly, physically, in life, the relationship Christ has with its church. Now, relationships between a man and a woman can be uh, good sermons or bad sermons. Uh, but their sermons are the same. I'm, I know you've heard a lot of bad sermons. Maybe you've heard some good sermons. There are lots of bad marriages that are not faithfully preaching and teaching the relationship that Christ has with his church. But there are some good ones out there, and we can look at those. 
Marriage should be a real life, living and breathing example every day of the covenant relationship Christ has with his church. And the difficulty we have understanding the covenant God has with his people is because more and more marriage relationships are treated as if they were consumer relationships, not covenant relationships. In a very typical, modern, consumer relationship, two people look at each other and they say, I will be what I should be to you as long as and to the degree you are what you should be. And if you're not, I'm out. As long as you meet my needs, I'll be committed to the relationship. However, as soon as I perceive that you're not meeting my needs, I will divorce you. It's really not much different than the relationship I have between Walmart and Winn-Dixie. You know, you give me lower prices, you give me a better product, I'm no longer going to shop at Winn-Dixie, I'm going to go to Walmart. It's a consumer relationship, strictly about business. And some people, some people have marriages that are just consumer relationships. Now, in God's providence, we had a wedding here uh, at First Pres yesterday. We still see some of the flowers and the tin out front. Alex and Melanie stood before God and witnesses, and they made covenant vows to one another. These covenant vows were the traditional vows that so beautifully illustrate this covenant relationship. They said, Will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live with her after God's commandments in the holy estate of marriage, and will you love her, honor, and cherish her so long as you both shall live? Will you have this man to be your wedded husband so long as you both shall live? I take you to be my wedded wife, or my wedded husband, and I do promise and covenant before God and these witnesses to be your loving and faithful husband or wife in sickness and in health, in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, so long as we both shall live. See, a covenant relationship is where two people are each saying, you are more important than I am. The relationship is more important than my needs. I will be committed to your needs before my needs. I will be committed to the relationship even if it's not meeting my needs at the moment. I give you my independence. I give you part of my freedom as a gift of love. I will be what I should be whether you are being what you should be or not. That is a covenant. And it's intensely loving because it's legal. You see, law and love are coming together in a covenant relationship. The bride and the groom love one another so much that they are binding themselves legally to one another as long as they both shall live. They are eliminating all other options and they are saying, I only want you in my life until we both die. See, covenant relationships are more loving than just a legal relationships, a, a, a legal relationship. 
And they're more binding than a mere love relationship. You know, I can intensely love my friend, but I'm not bound to them legally like I am to my wife. Back in the day, Joni Mitchell, folk singer, she sang, We don't need no piece of paper from the city hall keeping us tied and true. And I say, until you willingly, legally bind yourself to another human being, eliminating all other choices, then there are depths of love in that relationship you will never know. I mean, if somebody is willing to say, I want you, and I'm willing to make it legal that I only have you, and if I'm willing to say that to them, that's an incredible amount of love we're showing to one another. It's a commitment to one another. If both people are saying, I'm not after my needs, I'm after your needs, I will sacrifice for you, that is far more fulfilling, far more deep and profound, far more life-changing and, and, a, and a more joyful relationship than a consumer relationship where each side says, I'll be in it as long as you're meeting my needs. You know, the person who doesn't have the piece of paper from the city hall, well, they can always say, I'm out of here, and there's no legal ramifications for that. I don't really have a commitment to you. I'm just enjoying your presence for a time. This is a covenant relationship. And this is the kind of love the Lord has for his people. A love so great that he, is, he has bound himself to, to us. And we are bound to him by way of covenant. And we see it pictured here in our text. Now, we encounter here in chapter 15 uh, a ceremony that is very strange to modern people, but would have been very familiar to Abram and his contemporaries. This cutting up of animals in half and, and passing between the pieces, you know, they, they created, they, they took these animals and they laid them out uh, in halves and with an aisle down the middle. The cutting up of animals and walking between the people, the pieces, uh, were, was the way that covenant, covenant relationships were established and confirmed. This would often happen when a king would want his people to make an oath of loyalty to obey him. The vassals, the servants, the slaves, all the people would pass through the pieces, the slaughtered animals. And they would be, in essence, saying, if we are not loyal to you, O king, then may we be torn apart and destroyed like these animals are. They're taking an oath, an oath of loyalty. Or two people might walk through the pieces of these sacrificed animals and they might be saying, if we are not faithful to the promises that we have made to one another, may we be like those animals. There are some examples of this in Scripture. If you are interested in looking at one, Jeremiah 34. The people in Israel uh, make, go through this ceremony, and the king requires them to do so. And they are saying, we promise to free our Hebrew slaves. See, it was against God's law to have Hebrew slaves, and they were experiencing judgment because of that. So the king said, let's, let's make this right. Let's, let's bond ourselves that we're going to let the Hebrew slaves go. You could have Hebrew slaves for six years, but at the seventh year, you were to let them go. That was God's law. They let them go, 
And as they were walking away, they said, now what do we do? Let's not do this. And so they took them back. And God said, now I'm going to make those people who walk between the pieces like those animals. And he sent a conquering uh, nation to come and destroy the people of God because they were unfaithful to that covenant. Now, when you read here, uh, and this is a, a little interesting tidbit, in verse 18 it says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The word made is not there in the Hebrew. The word is literally to cut. The word is, a covenant was cut by the Lord. And it refers to that ceremony. That's how ingrained in culture it was. So Abram knew what's going on here. Uh, it wouldn't have been a surprise or something strange that God was asking him to do. Uh, he's like, okay, uh, you know, I'm asking God some questions about things that he's promised, and now we're going to have uh, a covenant ceremony to confirm these things. So Abram is instructed by God to set up this ceremony, and he has all the pieces in place, and he's waiting on God to show up. And he, he chases away the birds while he's waiting. And I'm certain that Abram is fully expecting for God to show up and tell Abram to vow faithfulness to God by walking through the people, pieces so Abram can receive the promises God has made to him. Promises that he, would be, that he would have land and descendants and be a blessing to the nations. Because so far, you know, back in chapter 12, God promised him, you're going to have land, you're going to have descendants, and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Well, so far, he's got no land, he's got no descendants, and he's certainly not been a blessing to any of the nations. He's gone down to Egypt. What happened? Pharaoh gets a plague on his house. He's just, in chapter 14, gone to war with uh, numerous kings that he's defeated. Uh, he has not been a blessing to any nation so far. So all these promises that God has made, he's not seeing uh, that they're actually coming to fruition. So he's, he's asking God for some assurance. So he's probably expecting that he's going to walk through the pieces. And he's going to say, yes, Lord, I, I'm faithful to you. I'll follow you. I've already followed you this far. And uh, he's going to say, I'll pledge to it. So yes, give me what I want. But something very strange and something unheard of happens Abram is never asked to walk through the pieces. But rather, God himself, the king, appears in the form of a smoking firepot and flaming torch, and he passes through the pieces alone. God himself, the king of kings. And this was unheard of. Kings didn't walk through the pieces. The, the slaves, the servants, the vassals, those were the people who would walk through the pieces. Kings didn't take the oaths. The servants did. Abram would have expected that he too, at least, would be required to pass through the pieces. Okay, if God's going to do it, then certainly I'm going to have to do it too to make certain promises to God, to make the deal. But here we see only God passing through those pieces. God taking the oath upon himself for both of them for Abram and his seed and his people and for God. What a great demonstration of God's love and care for Abram and his people that come after him. 
What God is doing here is vowing to die to keep His Word, to keep His promises to His people. God is saying, I will die for this relationship. I will die so that I can be your people and you can be my God. And that's exactly what happened. That is precisely what happened. God became a man and he was torn apart. Beaten, bruised, bloody, with a crown of thorns, nailed to a cross, pierced with a spear. He took the curse of the covenant, of the covenant that we broke because we were unfaithful to him. He took the curse by becoming a curse. Paul picks up this theme in Galatians. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Christ became a curse for us. He bore the curse of the covenant. Yes, we're unfaithful to the Lord, but God is faithful, and He will fulfill His promises, and He will die to do so. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? The Lord only relates to His people by a covenant relationship. But too many of us seek a relationship with God by way of a consumer relationship. We want God to to give us certain things and to be there to bless us. We want to be able to call on Him in our time of need. We want Him to be the big Santa Claus in the sky to meet our needs or else we're going to go to Walmart or Winn-Dixie. Have you ever found yourself angry with God? God, you're not delivering for me. You're not giving me what I want. You're not blessing me. So I'm going to go somewhere to find peace or comfort. Hopefully it's not Walmart. Some people do. I mean, hey, we've heard of, of uh, you know, a little retail therapy. Materialism makes us feel good. Some people turn to uh, drugs and alcohol. Some people turn to uh, other pleasures. Some people turn to uh, no, any manner of idolatry. Other things that we look to, to to give us the things that only God can give us. It's a consumer relationship that we're after in that point. And God doesn't relate to people with a consumer relationship. See, there's a, there's a blend of law and love. A beautiful blend of law and love in a covenant relationship. We have a tendency to go with one or the other. We want to think of God as, as being loving, and yes, He is, but we don't want to think about the law part of that too much. God's just the big Santa Claus in the sky, and He's just there to bless us. And as long as He does that, we'll, we'll there. But if not, we might get a divorce. Or we think of God as only law, and we forget that He's love as well. And we think, okay, I've got to meet the standard. I've got to make God happy, or He's going to get me. But see, the relationship that God has with us, with His people, is one of, that includes law and love. He has perfectly kept the law for us. He's met the conditions of the covenant. Uh, he, he is worried about that standard so much that He went to the cross to, to pay the penalty 
We're breaking that law. And in so doing, demonstrates his great love for us. He has bound himself to us so much that he's willing to die for it. Till death do us part. And beyond for the Lord, because we will live for eternity, inheriting the, the blessings of Abram. I want to love someone who loves me like that. You know, that's grace that he does this. And he doesn't require us to walk through the pieces. I want to obey someone who loves me like that. I want to give my life back to someone who loves me like that. that I want to enter into that covenant relationship and bind myself to him, him alone, not to the idols that this world has to offer. I want to obey him. And when I don't, because of this covenant relationship, I know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even when I fail, the Lord is still loving because he has kept the law for us. What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord today? Is it a covenant relationship? Or is it a consumer relationship? And if it's a consumer relationship, you really don't have a true relationship with the Lord because you can only be known through a covenant relationship. Let's pray together.